Beards for Radio. Hey guys, we are back with another episode of Beards for Radio. I am Joe. And I am Sasha. And um, we've been building towards it all year. It was the final meeting of the regular season, a top 10 matchup, a game between two teams fighting for the Big Ten Championship. Best of all, it was a rivalry game. It was Michigan. It was Michigan State in all of its glory on Saturday night. You know, I just, Sasha, I can't imagine a better environment to end the season with, you know. And Michigan, I give them credit because they came out um, on fire, really, like, they looked like they had the week off, you know. Michigan State played on Tuesday. Michigan last played on Sunday. And I feel like that's when that really makes a difference. Is like the first five minutes of the game, you can tell which team is better rested, you know. Um, I thought Michigan had a chance to really put the game away with about six minutes left in the first half when Cassius Winston got his second foul and sat for the rest of the first half. And, you know, Michigan – their lead got up to as much as 12 Michigan state when they were down by just six at halftime, that was a win. And um, yeah, Cassius Winston just midway through the second half, just told his teammates we're taking the lead and we're not giving it back. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. He just won big 10 player of the year today. And I can't think of a player in recent memory who deserved it more than he did. Um, so, you know, all in all, that's just one of the most special games I've ever watched. And I'm very, very happy that my team came out on top. But Sasha, what's what's your side of it? Uh, here's my thing with it. You know, Iggy came out. Iggy did a, his thing. You know, he just got a, a freshman, a Big Ten Player of the Year. He came out on fire. He came out doing good. But then again, then he gets these stupid bullish fouls where he comes in and he plays a great game and he gets these dumbass fouls and he lets his emotions get a hold of him. And um, then we saw he had foul trouble. He set out and then they had trouble scoring. This is what I was talking about the last our, our, our last cast is when Michigan is on, they are on. You know what I'm saying? When they're shooting and they're all on and everything's running right, it's cool, fine. But when they're not, when 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 and Iggy's out, they need to start playing a little more team ball. That's their biggest problem. They want to play this iso ball here, iso ball there, ice ball here, ice ball there. We are witnessing it in the NBA at uh to one of the greatest ISO players the game's ever seen in Carmelo Anthony. It's in nowhere. ISO ball's dead in the NBA. I don't understand why they're running this. I don't understand, too, is is that, yeah, Teske's not that big inside scoring threat. We got it. But when you're running your pick and rolls, right, and right. the rule switches, and you got a seven-footer that's getting fronted by Lawyer or Cassius, give him the ball. Establish the big man down low. They never did that. They never threw the ball in down low when they saw the mismatch. They didn't freaking do that. They want to do their little dribble, 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 you know, and look for their shot. It's not working. It wasn't working for you guys. So when that doesn't work, they, like, totally shut down. You know what I'm saying? And then then everyone's bitching about, oh, well, Michigan State shot, like, 15 uh, uh, free throws, 20-something free throws. Yeah, did you notice that all Cash's shots were at the rim? He drove. He did, They didn't settle just for jump shots. They drove. I, Iggy was the only one that would drive to the basket. Everyone else, they're settling for their jump shots. They're settling for little fadeaway uh, um, um, uh, mid-ranges, and it's not right. working. Teske's popping out, shooting two fu- two air balls. It's like, yeah, Teske, when you – it's it's cool. You take one, two or little shots a game, but you're off like that. Dude, start establishing the middle. They, they didn't establish the middle at all. They did that last game. I said the same thing last game. Look it. They're, they're, they're getting that mismatch. Take advantage of that mismatch. They didn't take advantage of that mismatch. I don't understand why. I don't get it. Iggy plays good, and he gets himself into uh, foul trouble early. And whenever he, he drives to the basket, he depends on a, a pick and roll, and he does that, and he, and he does a spin in the lane that sometimes gets ripped. But most of the times, he's strong enough where it's going to get called as a foul. He needs to keep doing it. He needs to attack the rim a little bit more rather than just being this straight-up perimeter shooting team, man. And, I, and it just – 
it just kills me is when Xavier Simpson is such a good quarterback, right? But they're right. not gonna they're not gonna play in his chest. You want to know why they're not gonna play in his chest? Because he can't shoot. Because you can't shoot. So fine, start penetrating a little bit. When you're only when the only shot that you're known for is a running hook shot, there's something wrong as a point guard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, and, you know, he needs to quarterback this team a lot better than he did, and they need to attack the basketball, the, attack the rim a lot more if they want to get to the line and get those easy free throw shots. And the pick and roll defense, that's where I think Xavier Tillman um, just really shined. You talk about Michigan not being able to get the ball down low when, you know, Teske was being fronted by Winston and Lawyer down low. Well, you know, that's a, that's a huge credit to Xavier Tillman and the way he was switching um, during the ball screens, you know, and the way he was guarding the guard who had the ball, which was usually Simpson. I think Tillman, how many blocks did he – I feel like Tillman – yeah, had five blocks in the game, and a lot of them were real momentum killers for U of M in the first half. So I feel like Tillman, you know, would probably just played his best game in his couple seasons at Michigan State. Xavier Tillman, I thought, aside from Cassius Winston, was the biggest difference on the court. And yeah, you brought up you brought up the free throw uh, differential, but like you said, you need to drive the lane. That's what Michigan State. That's what Cassius Winston. They've been doing all year. Is driving you the lane, so yeah, and then yeah. you know the rebound, the rebound deficiency too. Uh, let me see. Michigan had twenty rebounds. Michigan State had forty-six, and that's without Nick Ward, who's probably their best rebounder. Right, and Michigan's not a strong rebound. They just they they just aren't. They have no lane. And this is my my bit my biggest thing. I understand that. You know, the, the game's going to the stretch four, the stretch five way. But you need that Javel McGahee player. You need that, um, you know, um, that Jordan player where, where you have these big guys who, you know, they're not an offensive threat, but they're going to be a present. They're gonna, they're, they might not get block shots with the alter shots. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to let, let uh, a Michigan State team get 46 rebounds, which probably a good good five to ten of them were offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous, you know what I'm saying? And and I, I you, you mentioned uh, Xavier Tillman and uh, Cassius. To me, the biggest bright spot that I've noticed that I've been seeing each game that he's been getting better and better is Kenny Goins. I feel like that man's that man's game can translate into the NBA, especially now that he's shooting threes. He's, yeah. he's, he's becoming more of, a, more of a, a jump shot presence. I feel like his game can translate into the NBA easily. said it last year about uh, Jared Jackson, man, and that, that dude's going to be starting on uh, Grizzlies if he's not started already. You know, so I, I, I see Kenny Goins going that same path. But, yeah, that's that, that's that's Cassius's bread and butter is going to the lane, and, and, and he's so good. He has a nice little floating touch around the rim. You know what I'm saying? If he can get that little hitch out of his jump shot and, and develop more of a more of like a, a pure jump shot, yeah, that guy's gonna be deadly. Yeah, and you know, I've kind of been looking ahead to next year for Michigan State. Not that there's anything wrong with what's going on this year. Obviously, I'm loving it. But you know, I look at what Michigan State's bringing back, and you know, Langford will be back healthy, and they got some scores coming in, uh, recruiting wise. But you know, they're gonna miss Matt McQuaid and Kenny Goins a whole lot. Like they're, I think they're bringing in more scoring, but Goins and McQuaid, they just have like a toughness about them. Like they grew up knowing how to play Michigan State basketball. It's like you couldn't handpick two better players to play in Tom Izzo's system than Matt McQuaid and Kenny Goins. Yeah, and and and, and Izzo, it just just solidifies. Like we're, we're I was saying this earlier, it's like. He wasn't getting these kids' ear earlier in the in the year. He was doing his Bobby Knight esque basketball, old school coach approach. You know what I'm saying? And I said this, and, and I we're, we said this months ago. I'm like, it's not going to work with them. And then I watched an interview with him a few months ago. He's like, I've had to change the way I've coached. I've had to get up down on one knee and let the kids know, hey, I'm letting you know right now. I'm about to get into your ass. I'm about to dig into your ass. Don't take it. Don't don't be offended. Don't take it personal. This is what you need. You know what I'm saying? I think that's that goes big credit to show that you can you can teach an old dog new tricks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you don't you don't have to be stuck in your way. That, that that you can learn from this new younger age of kids. 
you know, growing up, I still think it's, you know, you know, sweetened down a little bit because, you know, I'm from that era where I don't want to have a sweetened down coach. I want to have a coach with the same amount of passion in me. You know what I'm saying? Who's going to smack me in the back of my head if I do something wrong. But right. a lot of people don't respond. A lot of people don't respond to that. And I think Izzo really honed that in and really, you know, he took that on on himself saying, I might, I might have to change the way I, I approach coaching with some kids. And I think that really, dude hit a home. Dude didn't hit a home run. He hit a grand slam uh, with that style of thinking, man. And and I think this is probably one of the best coaching, coaching years I've seen from a basketball head coach, man. And that's that's just what it is. And I can think of four to five games this season, just alone in the Big Ten, where Michigan State, you know, maybe had a struggling first half, and then they come out in the second half and look like a different team. And the players say, yeah, Izzo really got into us at halftime. Izzo really challenged us at halftime. And, you know, with a lot of group of kids, that might not work. But I think he's found the right type of players, the right type of personalities that it works with. You know, his yeah. And I feel no, like I, I, kids know what they're getting into when they sign up to play for Tom Izzo. I feel like, you know, you're not you're not going to see anybody transfer because, you know, they come in – play their freshman year at Michigan State and they transfer because, you know, they couldn't take Izzo or something like that. Oh, yeah, most definitely. But I, I still think there's a way to grab these kids' ear and attention. I think Izzo realized that he might have to approach it a different way. And, he, you know, and he came out and said it. And then, and then he came out and said it, and, he, and then he did it, and he stuck with it. So got to give all the props in the world to him. It's just, it just frustrating when you see – a talented team on my side, like the Wolverines, who just can't put it together, you know, as a team. You know what I'm saying? You got you got these pockets of talent everywhere on Michigan, you know, from Poole to, to Teske to, um, to Iggy. You know, Xavier, when he can quarterback uh, the game rather than, you know, throw up his uh, three-pointer that sometimes he, gets, he, he throws up and, you know, get those little ticky-tack fouls when they're frustrated. You know, it just – it really goes off maturity. And I'll I'm, – I'm hoping next year that Iggy and Xavier can be a, a little more mature with how they go about stuff, not force things, not get these little ticky-tack fouls, reaching fouls when they're frustrated. And when they do get their, their third or fourth foul, don't get it frustrated and have it lead to another foul because you think the, the previous foul was unfair. It's just like – you know, some of the right. stuff you, 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 you saw like the freshmen doops, duh, come out into in them. And um, I, I just want to see them kind of get rid of that next year. I want to see Iggy kind of take more control. I want to see Iggy be more finesse and uh, put his head down and kind of be, you know, it kind of reminds me, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, like a young Blake Griffin without the hops. You know what I'm saying? Where like Blake, uh, yeah. Blake will, he'll, he'll bully his way to the rim. He'll bully his way to the rim. He'll put his head down and bully his way to the rim. But now we're seeing a Blake Griffin who's kind of a little more finesse, but he'll be a bully when he needs to be a bully, but he'll, he'll be finesse when he needs to be finesse. And that's what I think Iggy needs to do. He needs to hone that in, man, or he's just going to be this big bullish of a dude who has one great offensive game, uh, have, has a great offensive game, has a decent def- defensive game, but he gets these stupid defensive fouls that just annoy the crap out of me, man. And for Michigan State, you know, I got a few words to, the, to talk about how they play, but you know the one that I've used all year. And I texted it to you, uh, like with six minutes left in the game. Streakability, man. Like you feel like they're never out of a game, regardless of how they start, regardless of who's playing. You know, I feel like even if they have a bad first half, and I thought, you know, the first half on Saturday night went about as poorly as they could have hoped for, for 15 minutes. You know, because they were playing great defense. I thought it's just Michigan was shooting the lights out. Michigan shot 50% in the first half. And Michigan State just wasn't really operating offensively the way they wanted to. It looked like, you know, the new game plan that Beeline put in place on defense was really working, you know. But, again, sometime in the second half when Michigan was up by, you know, eight or seven, something like that, Michigan State just, bam, goes on a 25-4 to run. And we've seen that so many times this year where, you know, Someone who hasn't watched Michigan State all year probably thinks the game is over or the game is, you know, seconds away from being over. And then 
Michigan State rattled off a 25 to 4 run, a 20 to 2 run, something like that. So, you know, that's why I feel so much differently about this year's Michigan State team versus last year's team. I, they're just so mentally strong. They play great defense, especially with Tillman on the floor. As much as I love Nick Ward, he brings something awesome to the offensive side that very few big men do. But Xavier Tillman just makes such a big difference on defense. I feel like I feel like aside from Winston, Xavier Tillman is the biggest reason why Michigan State beat Michigan twice this year. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. And like I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you the same question I asked you uh, uh, last week, Joe. Can Winston perform at this level at this pace with two tournaments coming up, putting Michigan State on his back? Can he do it? You know, with with games closer to each other, without with with less rest in between games, can he do it? And you know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna say yes. I have no reason to believe he can't. Um, but you know, if I was Michigan State, maybe you know, this is just an outsider perspective. Maybe I wouldn't take the Big Ten tournament so seriously. Like you can use it as a tool to rework Nick Ward into the uh, the lineup, you know, get him back into playing shape. If you win on Friday and then, you know, just play a competitive game on Saturday, that's fine. Because, you know, the biggest the biggest thing about the Big Ten tournament is you can use it to avenge your losses to your rivals. You can use it to get a title or you can use it to help your seeding in the NCAA tournament. Well, Michigan State doesn't need to avenge their rivals right now. They already won the title. You know, they have their their trophy and I don't think there's any way they're going up to a one seed and there's no way they're falling down to a three seed. They're pretty set as a two seed in the tournament right now. So, you know, I'd much rather have them rest up on Sunday rather than, you know, win another title, you know? Oh yeah. most uh, Yeah. And I feel like Izzo at the end of the Indiana game last week, when he just saw the five players that have been out there all game break down, he knew he had to trust his freshman. He didn't have a choice anymore. You know, right. that's why Foster Lawyer play, I think, eight minutes on Saturday against Michigan when he didn't play a single second the first time they played Michigan. I think he knows he has to trust his freshman, and I think he's going to be a lot smarter about it. So, yeah, I feel like Michigan State should win their first two games of the NCAA tournament. You know, hopefully that's not a guarantee, uh, no matter who you are. Um. But, yeah, I'll say you don't need to do it in the Big Ten tournament. And, you know, I do think that Michigan State, with Nick Ward back, I feel like their ceiling is probably a Final Four run. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that that Izzo not only played these freshmen, but he's empowered them. I think that's that, that's that's another scary element to add to it. But for the for the tournament, yeah, I think I, I, I'm I'm gonna step back a little bit. And if Michigan keeps playing the way they're fucking playing, excuse my language, I think uh, Sweet 16, and maybe even 32 is gonna be their uh, 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 be their ceiling. But Michigan State, yeah, I see them going to a Final Four. Um, do I see them going over like Duke? No, I don't think it's. I think I see anybody being Duke. You know, even uh, <clears throat> the second. Uh, I'm I'm losing my slot, my second slot. Like I I don't I don't see them going. I don't see anybody beating Duke, especially if Zion right. comes back. Even even if Zion's not there, you know R.J. Barron, Cam Reddish, man, those guys are studs. So like I don't see anybody beating Duke, but I do see Michigan State going pretty far in the tournament. But I see Michigan. I just see their I think 32-16 is where they end up if they keep playing this stupid ISO ball that they're playing. Um, I'm sick of hearing people saying, "Well, Charles Matthews didn't play." You know, well, neither did Langford, neither did Ward. So you know, th- there's two there's there's two studs to R one. Now what's your excuse? You know what I'm saying? Right. So like I don't want I don't want to hear excuses when it comes down to this right here. They just need to buckle up. Xavier Simpson needs to play uh, play a better quarterback. Iggy needs to be more finesse, stop being bullish and getting these stupid little reaching fouls. Same thing with Xavier. I mean Xavier Simpson, and maybe they they can do something, and maybe Poole, maybe Poole can um, drive to the uh, ball to the basket instead of wanting to do his uh, you know his and one mixtape uh, you know uh, dribbles around and then shoot the ball in someone's face. Maybe Teske can take it down low. You know what I'm saying? Maybe and, and maybe Charles Matthews can come out, come back out and play his in and out game. But if that doesn't happen, 
yeah, Michigan's going to have a very short run into the in, in the national championship, and it pisses me off because I, I saw it going somewhere so different when they were 17-0. and 0. Yeah, and I was going to bring that up. You know, you remember back to the first months, the first, like, two, two and a half months of the season, Michigan looked indestructible. Like, you didn't know where their losses were going to come. And, you know, not to, like, dump on one single player, but I feel like the biggest difference from the way Michigan was playing then to now is Jordan Poole. Like he was, you could tell he was like living off of his buzzer beater against Houston last year that propelled Michigan into the final four. Like I know it technically sent them to the sweet 16, but you could tell that shot like really propelled them over the next two games. And I feel like he started off the season with a swagger, a real, a really big confidence. And I don't know, something happened. He's kind of been forcing a lot of shots lately not playing super smart. He's never really been a great defender. Um, you know, I probably have to ask Mike because he's he's more of the Michigan basketball expert than me or you. <laughs> you know, he's just he knows. But yeah, I feel like right now the biggest difference is Jordan Poole uh, between how Michigan looked and how it felt. You remember, it, it feels like a completely different year, the way Michigan feels. And it's not like they're bad. Like they lost to a very good team, Michigan State. I felt like all year has been kind of underrated by the media. And even even their own fans. So you know, you're going to lose to good teams, especially one that just beat you at home. It makes sense that you would lose to them on the road. But you know, they still had losses to you know Penn State and Iowa sprinkled in there. And yeah, you know, I think Simpson has been pretty consistent. I think Rosdikas, you know, he's a freshman, so he's going to face some inconsistency. But Poole, yeah, you know, if I was a Michigan fan, I think I'd be pretty disappointed in how. He's performed down the stretch, right? Especially, especially when when Poole, Teske, and Charles Matthews have have gone far in a tournament. They're they're you know uh, according you know in the realm of basketball, they're seasoned vets in college basketball. You know what I'm saying? They've gone far. You know, it's not like they haven't they haven't played tough games. So like. I, I really need to see it out of those three guys the most, you know what I'm saying? Because we, we can fall back, and like you said, Iggy is a freshman. Z- Xavier Simpson, you know, green, still a little green, still has a lot to go. You know, these guys are going to be in the NBA draft anytime soon. So, you know, I want to see more out of, out, out of them next year. But I'm going to fall back on the fact that they're young. But those three guys I mentioned, Teske, Matthews, and Poole, I want to see a lot more out of them. I want to see a lot more drive, a lot more heart. Because Teske is just out there looking like uh, – you know he's getting put like like I said he's in he's in he's in the post getting pushed around by Cassius. That should not happen. It should not happen. And standing at seven foot one, it should not happen. You know, and, and and not only that, give the man the ball. You see that mismatch down low. Give him the ball. They did it one time, and then Testy got called for a travel. I believe it was. It's just like they're not playing team ball. They're not playing smart heads up ball. They're not playing the ball they were playing. You know the first. Uh, you know, three quarters of the season, to be honest with you. And for Michigan State, man, I was – I heard a, a crazy stat that they have the most quadrant one quadrant one wins out of any team in the nation. Yeah. So, they have they have the most wins against the hardest opponents, against their hardest opponents in their schedule in the nation. That's nothing to, you know, you know, you know scoff at. That's – that's big That's crap. So we, right, from what Michigan State was last year, with all the talent and health that they had last year, they had two quadrant run quadrant quadrant one wins last season. And now they got the most in the nation. So yeah, that's I that's, not, that's not, nothing to look at. Nothing to look down upon, man. That's that's some that's some good stuff. And like you got like like a big to me, the big thing of that too is is how Izzo just brought that team together, man. It just. You know, we've said it tons of times, man. Izzo is probably one of the best sport coaches in the state of Michigan history, dude. And and this year is what why we see him and why we label him as one of the best coaches to coach any sport in Michigan in the state of Michigan, man. Because that guy just brought that team together. You know, you know, your your two studs go down. You're thinking, oh man, this this might be a cakewalk for people. But like me. I said, hey man, I'm not I'm not looking at it like that. Because to me, Izzo's on like the, the level of Belichick. Don't count them out. Don't count these guys out. They can plug and play players in that you never heard of. You know what I'm saying? And that's exactly what 
he did exactly what he's been doing. And yeah, dude, it's 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 disappointing for me as a Michigan fan because I wanted to see, you know, they had a good, like you said, the first half. Man, Michigan could have ended it. They could have they they could have ran it, but stupid fouls, inconsistencies, brain brain lame brain moves, and like like I don't know. They looked lost out there. They looked freaking lost out there. And I haven't seen that from Michigan this year, man. They looked yeah. lost the second half of both games. They looked lost. You know what I'm saying? So something needs to happen. They need to they need to stop doing, you know, just just worry about their perimeter shots. All they do is they're like a perimeter team. Stop playing ISO ball. Play some team ball, man. Go out there and have fun, dude. And I think um I think the look on Beeline's face at the end of the game yesterday kind of kind of summed it up for the way Michigan fans, I think the way Michigan coaches and players are feeling right now is just like, what the fuck happened? What happened, dude? And I can't explain that. I just I just know that what they need to do is find a little fire in their bellies, and they need to change the approach to the game. They need to attack the basketball more. They need to look for their mismatches. They need not just settle for uh, long jump shots, ISO play. And I think they know that. I think Beeline knows that. But what's – What's he gonna be able to do at this point? How you gonna get? The, how you gonna pull these kids from out this way that they've been playing all friggin' year? They've been playing that way all year, but their shots have been dropping. So now, what happens when their shots don't drop? What are you gonna do? Right, and I feel like so it's tough. I feel like that's an aspect of Michigan State that's been pretty underrated all season. Like the outside view of Michigan State has been, you know, it's Cassius Winston carrying the whole team on his back. Well, you know. Cassius Winston gets the credit he deserves. He deserves all the credit in the world. And he has been the biggest difference on this team. But when Mich- when Cassius Winston picked up his second foul and Michigan State was down by 10, 11, and 12 over the next couple minutes, but Michigan State sh- closed that gap to six before halftime. You know, that speaks to the team. That speaks to all the players that aren't Cassius Winston or Nick Ward or Josh Langford. You know, I, I feel like Kyle Ahrens, I don't think enough people are talking about him. You know, his, his, I feel like the game really changed when he got the ball, you know, drove it between, I think, Poole and Teske, got the layup, fell down on his back that has been bothering him all season. You know, gets up, he runs down, he, he sprints down to the defensive side, you know, pumps up the crowd, slaps the floor, and you just felt like it was a different energy in the Breslin Center after that play from Kyle Ahrens. And, you know, Goins is an underrated passer. Tillman does so much. Um, Aaron Henry, it looks like he's got his confidence back. He stepped into a lot of shots on Saturday night that he wasn't stepping into. He wasn't stepping up to take those shots against Indiana, which was a huge reason why they lost because he looked like he had no confidence against Indiana. But then on Saturday, he looks very competent, very confident, and it made a world of a difference, not just for him, but for the whole team. Yeah, and like you, you know what I know is like a, a big difference between state and Michigan is a state they play their team ball and they play it the whole friggin' time from start to finish. Michigan, I feel like if Michigan gets out ahead, they need to stay ahead because they have when they when they're playing behind, they get in their panic mode and then they start doing their uh, you know, uh, forcing up shots and they start, you know, making their dumb plays. When they're ahead and they play ahead, you know, and they keep going and they keep going, that's when I feel they're at their best. Sometimes I feel like when they're ahead and and Xavier wants to slow it down, it's just like I feel like there's trouble brewing. It's like I, I text you guys, no bueno, man, no bueno. I text you this, like, beginning of the second half, like, this is no bueno. State Michigan's not looking good. It's not looking good for Michigan. This is where they this is where they struggle playing team ball, and that's exactly what happened. You know what I'm saying? When 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 they have a lead, I want to see Ohio State. I want to see uh, Alabama type mentality. When we're up by 40, oh, I, I want to be up 60. I want to be up 80. We're not gonna stop. We're gonna put our foot on your throat. Xavier Simpson was slowing it down. It's almost like just play your game, man. Play your game. Don't play the safe conservative crap. I've I, I've been a Lions fan for how long? I've seen the safe conservative crap happen, and then boom, they ended up losing. And that's exactly what happened with Michigan, man. They they were ahead, and then they had to play behind. When they played behind, they played panicky, and 
that's something Michigan State's very good at doing is playing that team ball, playing the full from the beginning to the end. You know what I'm saying? Because those last minutes, those last seconds can change a game. And, you know, we've seen it over the years in any sport. So I think that Michigan State's on the right track. Michigan, boy, you guys got a lot of stuff to do during this tournament, this Big Ten tournament. You guys better find yourselves. You guys better find some fire in your stomachs. You Something needs to change. And and this is a good experiment time. You know what I'm saying? If you don't care about the Big Ten tournament, like you said, if you know you're going to get a big – if you know you got a bid already into the uh, tournament, whether it be a second, third, or fourth, whatever, at least, at least, at least, at least, you're working on – ways to change for going into the big tournament, you know, and I think this is a good platform for, for them to do it. If they don't take advantage of that, man, like I said, week one, uh, uh, round one, maybe uh, you'd probably win round two. I doubt it. Right. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan did end up winning the big 10 tournament, just based off the way they've come together in the last, two Big Ten tournaments and, you know, rattled off the – both of the last seasons has been four wins in four days. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Um, sometimes there are teams that really feel like their season is about to end, you know, and, you know, pick themselves up in time for the Big Ten tournament. Sometimes there are teams that feel like they got something to prove. You know, I think Michigan probably feels like they do have something to prove because they were right there for the Big Ten championship, and they're – they might play Purdue in the second game of the Big Ten tournament who won a share of the Big Ten championship. I know they beat that team by 19. You know, it was at home in December, but still Michigan beat Purdue by 19 points and it wasn't even that close, you know. So, you know, I feel like they if they win on Friday, I don't know who they'll play. Um, and then if they get Purdue on Saturday, I, I think it'd be easy for Michigan to get up for that. I feel like that's one of the biggest things about the Big Ten tournament is – Sometimes you feel like you got something to prove. And for Michigan, you know, I don't know that they really have like a senior presence on the team. I, I think, you know, Charles Matthews is a redshirt junior who um, is qualified as a senior. You know, like they, they honored him on senior night like he was leaving. But, you know, last week against Nebraska, um, Michigan State was turning the ball over a whole lot in the first half. And Matt McQuaid, after a Tom Izzo – or after – after a Cassius Winston turnover says, Hey man, you got to cool it. We're almost at the postseason. Like we, we can't be doing that type of stuff anymore. And, uh, you know, I really quite a credit what Tom Izzo did in, at the start of the second half uh, at halftime. He told his players, the next person who turns the ball over is coming out like you're sitting. And of course it was Cassius Winston turns the ball over in the second half. Boom. In comes foster lawyers. Like Tom Izzo doesn't care that you're the star and the big 10 player of the year right now, you know, he's going to hold you to the same standard as everybody else. And that was the only turnover of the second half because everybody knew, you know, if cash is going to be sat for turning the ball over once, uh, and I'm definitely going to sit for turning the ball over once, <clears throat> but yeah. And, and, and those are the, those are the is coachable moments that like I can, I can live with the is coachable moments that you can't live with is when he's sitting his star players during the tournament and they're end up losing to uh, middle Tennessee state or, you know, they're out in the first or second round because he wants to use a coachable moment during the during the tournament. You can use a coachable moment during Nebraska with one game left in the in the regular season. That's cool, but during the tournaments, man, I I just I just I I hope he doesn't use that same kind of like you know coaching approach because you put catches on the bench in the tournament. That's that, that's gonna be the weak spot that they that the other teams are gonna go at go at go at and your ter- coachable moment turned into a loss and we've seen it happen. I'm not gonna say it's gonna happen again, but I, I hope he just doesn't do. I, I hope this was his coachable moment and he doesn't have any more during the tournament. You know, right? And I don't know what he was trying to coach Jackson last year, but but yeah, I feel like uh, McQuaid and Goins they're playing like they know their careers are coming to a close. Their time in college basketball is ending. And that's a dangerous thing for the teams that are going to be playing Michigan State. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Like, a lot of people use a term like, oh, they have nothing to lose. Like, like I- I'm sorry. I'm more scared of somebody that has everything to lose. You know what I'm saying? Because 
that person's fighting for nothing. This person's fighting for a whole lot. So yeah, you're right. You're right about that. You know, and and we, we were saying this last. I said this last, last podcast. Uh, Cash just can't put everything on his shoulders. I feel. I felt like uh, Goins and McQuaid had developed a nice little two man game, and they've been doing it. So like. You know everything that you guys are doing is everything I want. I wanted us to be doing at this point of the season, and um, just more team ball. That I can't stress it enough. More team ball, and um, just stepping away from being this perimeter spread offense, which I, I, it's it's the future in the NBA. You know, but sometimes when you play teams like State, it's you, you got to have a different approach. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, any predictions for the Big Ten tournament? Um, I think, I think, I think you, I think you probably nailed it on the head with State. I don't think this is really like a, a big deal if they, if it, if if they win, it's not going to make or break them. You know what I'm saying? I think he, I think he should use this Big Ten tournament to get the guys who might be coming back in, everybody acclimated, ready for the big tournament. You know, I can see that Michigan. Um, I can see them getting hot, but do I care? Man, they can win the Big Ten tournament. They can make it to the Final Four. They can win a championship game, dude. They can win a championship, dude. It's still gonna bug me that they lost two two in a row to Michigan during the regular season. I feel like I feel like it's uh, Michigan beating Ohio State next year. It's not gonna matter to me. Urban's gone. I want Urban there to be beating him. You got what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I wanted I wanted Michigan to at least win one of the uh, the two matchups during the regular season game. But it, it, it honestly, dude, in, in in all actuality, if they won a Big Ten tournament and if they win somehow won the uh, the, uh, the national uh, tournament. I would still feel a little bit empty because they lost twice to Michigan State, man. And that's just well, that's part I guess of the that, that, that's just part of the rivalry, right? And that, that's what just makes it beautiful. But it just it, to me, it's like Michigan, the Big Ten turn, tournament is not going to matter. You know, it's, it's, it really doesn't matter for Michigan State because they're they're the regular season champions. They're probably looking on to the Big Tournament, you know, and that's what I want Michigan to do. I just want them to use this time in this tournament to try some different things to maybe look inside, to maybe establish Teske in the post, you know what I'm saying? To maybe drive the ball a little bit more than you guys usually do. You know, I want them, them to use this time to switch it up a little bit. And um, that, that, that's what I hope they do. I don't care if they win the big 10 tournament or not, man. I just want them to go. I just want them to go into the major tournament. Headstrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if Michigan State gets to Saturday and they're playing and Tom Izzo decides to roll out, you know, a five-person lineup of all the five of his freshmen, that'd be fine with me, man. Get them more right. playing time right now. Right. Uh, uh, in a tournament that, like, is just really for, like, you know, it's for show, really, to be honest with you. I think I think this, this is for show. It's good for teams that – needs that feel like you know they can get from a seven seed to a six seed or you know a four seed to a three seed something like that right teams that feel like you know they had a shot at a big 10 title in the regular season but didn't get it or you know if a team has been hurt all year but now they're healthy like 2014 i feel like was a perfect time for michigan state to win the big 10 tournament because they've been playing without adrian Payne or brandon dawson for most of the season and then they both come back and I think Michigan won the Big Ten by, like, two or three games that year, you know. And Michigan State came into the season as, like, the number two team, number one. You know, a lot of people picking them to win the championship. And they were kind of disappointing. They used that Big Ten tournament as a springboard. And they they blew out Wisconsin, who went to the Final Four. They blew out Michigan in the championship game, who went to the Elite Eight. And that really, like, kind of sprung them into the tournament. And it made them feel like a new team. So I feel like that's the that's the best thing you can get out of the Big Ten tournament. But, like I said, I feel like Michigan State's pretty solid in their seed. I don't see them moving up to a one. I don't see them falling to a three. They they beat their rivals. They got a championship trophy. Like, you know, Aarons and Ward, if they're healthy, Michigan State is a completely different team. And I feel like that's what you should use the Big Ten tournament for. Get your freshmen, some do-or-die experience, and then work – Nick Ward specifically back into the lineup. But other than that, yeah, I I could give two shits if they 
as long as they don't lose on Friday to either Ohio State or Indiana, like as long as you win on Friday, I'm fine with whatever happens next, you know? Right. And I feel that and way. I don't want them to lose to Michigan, obviously. I love having a 2 0 record. Hey, man. Hey, I, I, I feel the same way, just if the roles were reversed. But yeah, for Michigan, I think they need to do the same thing. Um, and get, uh, but instead of, you know, having to, uh, bring in Nick Warden to afraid, I need to, them to bring Charles Matthews back into it and work him back in a little bit. So I think we're kind of on the same page with our teams for the, uh, big 10 tournament is that we really don't care, but we just would like to have them use this as a platform to springboard themselves and, and, and get themselves right for the big tournament. Am, am I far off? I think about that, Joe. Absolutely not. Awesome. We got one other topic we want to get to on this episode. Um, You know, it's kind of just a recap, um, bring everybody up to speed, but we got three episodes left until the finale of season nine of The Walking Dead. Obviously, spoiler alerts ahead, but Sasha, um, what have you been taking from the last, you know, half a season of The Walking Dead as as we get into it? Oh, God, man. Like, I love Walking Dead, and they can probably do it for another five seasons and I'll watch it but I really really want it to come to a nice climactic end you know what I'm saying um what really got me this this um episode is that um I like how uh Daryl realized that you know that girl was getting abused and you know when he was young like that he was under the thumb of his father who was who was this abusive alcoholic you know what I'm saying? So he kind of found it in his heart to save her, even though yeah. it, 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 you know, even though like he used the um, going after the young man with the the kid with the stick. I can't think of his name. Henry. Even though Henry, even he's going after Henry, and you know that Henry's like, I'm not leaving without her, and like he could have figured out a way to get Henry out without grabbing the girl, but in the back of his mind. In the, in the front of his mind, he wanted to leave her. But in the back of his mind, in his heart, I, I don't think he could have. You know what I'm saying? I think I think, I think think Daryl has that spot in the people that, you know, are are abused, are, you know, are, are you know, you know, downtrodden. You know, they're, they're, they're kicked, they're, you know, they're kept down. I think that's what Daryl was, was his whole life. So I think that, that him getting Henry and Henry saying, I'm not going to let the girl go. And him not really fighting Henry on it just showed me that he really wanted to bring her to. He really went after the girl to bring her back, and Henry just happened to be going out there anyway. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I like yeah. Daryl on that fact, and I like the the deaf chick. And I didn't really know that she was an act- actually a deaf actress until I watched Talking Dead, and they yeah. had her sign her there, which I think is awesome because I feel like you know if you if you're making a movie and you have um, you know a, a character that's supposed to be black, I want it to be played by a black man or a black woman or black person. If you have a character that's white, played by a white person, you know, it's, if you have a character that's deaf, I want them. I think it's more genuine. They went and got a deaf uh, actress. I think that's freaking awesome. I think that you know a, a, a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, you know, production companies or film-wise producers or, you know, talent, people who get the talent and casting directors need to go after, do stuff like that, because I was really impressed with that, that she was actually, actually, um, you know, hearing impaired, and that she's actually doing her thing on the show. It just makes it feel a little more genuine, you know? It does. Yeah, and I didn't know that either. I just assumed it was an actress, you know, playing a deaf person, and and then... I, I I always only watch like the first four or five minutes of Talking Dead, because um, I I just sometimes can't stand Chris Hardwick, but that's different. Um, but yeah, I saw the the signer and he mentioned that, so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I thought it was nice to see Daryl like in a drag out fight again, because I feel like we haven't really seen that in a few seasons. You know, he fought uh, Beta in last night's episode. And, you know, it seemed kind of too easy for him that he knocked him down the uh, the chute. And you kind of knew, like, as he's walking away, like, there's no way Beta's actually dead. You know, they just introduced this badass character. And, you know, at the end of the season, or at the end of the episode, rather, um, you know, it kind of zooms in on him. And, of course, he survives the fall. Yada, yada, yada. But I feel like 
there's so much going on right now. It's almost too much going on uh, in the second half of this season. Cause you know, they jumped, what was it? Six years since Rick disappeared and you know, nobody looks that different, but at the same time, they're trying to fit, I think, so much into it. Like, you know, there's the fair going on that nobody really cares about except for, like, Ezekiel and the kingdom. There's, you know, all these people that they're just now running into. Like, it kind of it kind of confuses me how the Whisperers have been around since the beginning, but they're just now running into Alexandria and the kingdom and Hilltop, you know? Right. Same thing with the highway people from last night. It's like these people have been using the highways – for you know the decade that the zombie apocalypse zombie apocalypse has happened and you're just now you're like getting run into by them and they're trying to charge you for tolls you know right and you know i was kind of glad that the episode went that direction with the uh the highway people like because you know i just can't take any more like rivalries or any more you know unnecessary violence and killing when it doesn't need to happen i thought that showed a lot of progression from carol because you know carol in the past you know, I, when I think of Carol, I think of badass Carol blowing up um, Terminus and getting setting everybody free, you know, or, you know, doing what she has to do and burning those people because she didn't want the uh, the virus spreading among the prison, you know, just doing what she has to do regardless. But then in last night's episode, you know, she's grown her hair out because, you know, it used to be something about her her um, abusive ex-husband, the one that died in season one, would grab her hair, and so she cut it off. But now she feels safe again, and she's grown out her hair. And, you know, they get the message from the, the highway people about paying the tolls or, you know, your guests are going to be sent away. And, you know, Ezekiel and his people and Jerry, they show up there with the intention to just kill them and be on their way. But Carol really fixed it. And, you know, in the most tense moment of their meeting, you know, she resolved that. They're like, oh, you're going to have to bring something more to us than just joining the kingdom. We don't care. And she's like, okay, when's the last time any of you have seen a movie? And you could see, like, uh, you know, the leader of the highway people. He was like, what, seriously? And then we see them, like, riding to the aid of um, Tara and her people, you know, at the end scene. So I feel like that right. showed a lot of progression from Carol. Yeah, and like the the thing is though is 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 Carol was wanting to be more political, but she knew that if the political you know aspect fell through, we need to kill them. You know, she's right. like, well, if it doesn't work, we we just kill them. So you know, she still she still got that badass in her, but society needs to change at one point, and you know, we we need to establish tra- uh, you know trade routes. We need to be a little more you know political about stuff we need to grow you know but you know i'm not gonna kill you i'm not, I'm not gonna not kill you if you don't fucking you know not do it our way or not do it diplomatically so i think that was cool to see it from her for beta though what really got me with beta was that i did not know until you know i i found out that um that uh that actress was really deaf was when i was watching the first you know few minutes of the talking dead when i found out that beta is played by ryan hurst now I am a huge, huge, huge Ryan Hurst fan. He um he was in uh Remember the Titans. God. He was remember remember the Titans. He was Opie in um Sons of Anarchy, and he played in this one show that I am just losing my mind what the name of it is, but it's about uh, uh Kentucky Hill people against like the uh, uh coal companies. And it was on uh, I think WGN or WB for a little bit, and it was a really good show. So I'm a big 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 fan of ryan hurst and when i saw him i looked at my wife i go ryan hurst is beta she's like you didn't know that i'm like no i did not know that it just to me now i'm like all right cool because now you have an actor i really like playing such a good role you know what i'm saying so like it brought me a little bit like oh okay cool it brought me a little bit uh more towards uh kind of being like okay i'll i'll let this ride out a little bit longer you know what i'm saying because I, i'm a big fan of ryan hurst i think he's one hell of an actor he's like he is, he's a Goliath of a man, you know, so, like, he, he plays that beta role very, very, very well. Um, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised with him being beta, and I'm like, dude, they're not – and, like, when he knocked on his shaft, I'm like, it's only, that, like, three – it's only, like, three stories up. They're only, like, three stories up, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, you know, right. I felt like too easy. Right, and they're not going to kill off someone like Ryan. They're not going to bring – somebody that's like such like 
a good character actor in the pop culture world. I mean, this guy goes around those Comic Cons. You know what I'm saying? People like line up to get pictures with him in Comic Con. They're not going to hire a big actor like that, a big character actor like that, put him in a, a good role, and then all of a sudden kill him off like uh, a few episodes after he starts really getting into his role. As far as the Highwaymen, I, I was reading something about the Highwaymen. They're not actually part of the comic books, but uh, Robert Kirkman wanted somebody, wanted to have somebody replace the saviors, not necessarily be, uh, you know, against them or foes, but m- more of like allies. And these, and we've seen, he said, you've seen the progression of these highwaymen through the years of walking dead. And you're like, what? I don't remember seeing them. You remember the scene where, um, Rick, I forget who it was. And Carl Coral were in like, it was a first or second season. They're in that bar. And those guys like try to sexually assault, uh, they try to rape, uh, Carl and, uh, and, uh, what's his face. Um, Rick goes crazy. And the first time he actually kills a human being and not a walker in a, in a uh, zombie apocalypse. Do you remember that? The one where you like bit the guy's throat off the people that yes, riding with. yes. Yeah. and they're like they're like we own the roads we own everything around here that's that was like the progression of the highwaymen and then they run into like more marauders he called them marauders like that and these guys were like the beginning of the highwaymen so that's why we he said you didn't really get to see them or they haven't ran into them before because they've been building they've been building they've been building and just small pockets of marauders meeting together and putting tolls on roads so that's what that's what he said they kind of came from that so right. I, I thought it was pretty cool uh, reading that about what Robert Kirkman said. He just bait him up and it wasn't even part of the graphic novel. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes more sense about like why they hadn't run into them then, I guess. Yeah. I felt, I felt like, you know, in the, in the past few seasons, it felt like they were building towards something in the season finale. Um, and I just don't know what it is this year. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited. Um, I, I I think it being at the point it's at and having three more episodes left, it's kind of intriguing. You know, you know, the beginning of the season kind of started off too slow for me. I mean, you know, I I I, I hardly see Mushon in action. You know, mm-hmm. you know, this is the first time you really seen um, like you said, Daryl in action. Daryl's you know throwing like uh, you know fire axes through guys' chests. You know slicing necks and stuff and throwing like you said throwing beta down a uh, uh, elevator yeah. shaft yeah I haven't seen I haven't seen any action from him I haven't really seen any action from Mushon. it's like there hasn't really been any action I hope they like really like you know grand finale and throw up all the fireworks these last three uh, episodes because you know, I want to really see something to keep me going until October yeah for real all right, man. I think that sums up everything we wanted to get to on this one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think we talked about obviously our rivalry uh, game and what Michigan State needs to continue doing and what Michigan State Michigan needs to change to do to look good going into the um, tournament. So I think I think we're I think you guys are sitting pretty good. I think we have a little bit to go, man. So. Yeah, and then um, you know, just talking on the Walking Dead, it's it's still going. We're still watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, that pretty much sums it up right there. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we hit everything. But until next time, man, it's been real. I'm Sasha, and I'm Joe. And this has been That's Beards us. for Radio. Beards oh, for guys. Radio brought to you by Farbar. <laughs>